Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Monfils captures Rotterdam, Burton's defends St. Petersburg, and Carl Edmund returns to form in New York. And welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans, for fans, with Joel and Kim. Today on the show, we are doing our first full catch-up on the tennis circuit since the Australian Open, with the ATP taking in the sights of Rotterdam, New York and Buenos Aires this week, whilst the WTA have been in St. Petersburg and Hua Hin. We'll also be rounding up the events from last week, as well as the Fed Cup, and looking forward to next week, including the return of Kim Kleisters in Dubai. Of course, we'll have a bit of mysterious player thrown in as well, but Kim... Firstly, I need to ask you, the weather here in London has been absolutely apocalyptic over the last couple of weeks. I've been in all day today. Is the weather as miserable in Germany as it is here? Uh, I wouldn't say apocalyptic, Joel. That might be a bit over the top, (laughs) but it is pretty bad. (laughs) Genuinely, I've got like horizontal rain. I look out my window, it's just like horizontal rain. Oh, roll on summer. Um, Yeah, I've got a nice (laughs) cup of chamomile tea with me this evening um, whilst we're doing this. And I'm going to dive into bed after and snuggle up. So (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, yeah, definitely the weather to do that. Um, But yeah, we actually, well, we actually, um, as we're recording this, you know, let's begin with Carl Edmund because we're recording this before uh, the final that Carl Edmund is in is going to be played. So I might try and watch that actually in bed uh, once we finished. Yeah. I mean, that for me is probably the most surprising thing that I've, I've seen this week. I was not, you know, Carl Edmund has had a bit of a rocky, you know, start to 2020s, 2019 season wasn't much better. He's dropped down to British number three, which just seems odd just to even say that. But uh, yeah, he's through to, He's through to his first final in in a long time, I think, since... Since since he won Antwerp? Yeah, since Antwerp. Mm. Uh, And he comes up against uh, Andrea Seppi. But uh, yeah, he beat Kekmanovic in in the semifinals, who was, you know, seeded above him. One and four. I don't think he's dropped a set all week. Um, It seems like we've returned to almost like the the Carl Edmund of old. I think he did drop a set against um, Kwon Soon Woo in the quarterfinal. Um, I think he came back, but I mean, yeah, like, yeah, he won that on a last set tiebreak, I think. But yeah, very solid win over Kekmanovic. And then Seppi is definitely winnable. Um, So I I have a good feeling that Kyle will do this and claim his his second career title. I think it it would be totally unexpected, really. He's had like literally no form at all uh, for a long time. So, I mean, even getting to the final is is an achievement, but if he can go all the way, which I, I... I have good feelings that he can, then that's a real positive. 
he i mean i think he's had you know it's a it is a kind draw it is a 250 and you know some of the players he is playing it's not like you know this is not uh you know these aren't like the top you know 10 players in the world or whatever but at the same time you know these are the sorts of matchups that will give Kyle Edmund confidence hopefully you know after this event and just kind of getting on court and winning matches and and knowing and having that feeling returned to you, I think will do Kyle uh, a world of good. And, you know, again, as you said, I think he played Seppi. I think he's played Seppi this season and, and beaten him. So, you know, as you said, it's definitely a winnable, it's a winnable title. I was not expecting it at the start of the week. So, yeah, here, here, here's hoping. Yeah, as you said, I think it's all about matches and confidence and, you know, building on that. So regardless of, you know, the strength of the field and and the level of the tournament, you know, these are the sorts of matches Kyle should definitely be winning. And he needs to get to a place where he can go into these matches with the confidence and belief and, you know, live up to everyone's sort of expectations, really. And, and, And then when he's in matches against players that perhaps where he is the underdog he can he's you know he's got more chance of kind of going deep into into you know bigger tournaments um so yeah fantastic also Dom Inglot uh British uh doubles player Dom Inglot is in the final of the doubles in New York I think they're a setup at the moment so we could possibly have two British champions out in New York They've just broken as well in the second set ah, so excellent yeah so seven excellent. six three two up so yeah so we could have dare I say could have two British champions in New York um but looking closer uh looking closer to home in Europe we've had some tournaments over the last couple of weeks and it feels like actually of all the players playing at the moment um this you know in February post Australian Open Garmon Monfils arguably could probably say he's the most informed player because he won Montpellier last week and now he has run Rotterdam. So he's won two titles in two weeks. Yeah, he's been pretty unstoppable this month, I suppose. Um, He won Montpellier last week, which I think was the third time he'd won that tournament. I think um, he's he's got a very good record at at that tournament. I think French players pretty much always win that tournament. Yeah, French player wins French French tournament shot. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, he has won back-to-back titles at Rotterdam now. He won it last year, won it this year. First player since... Robin Sodling, that's a, a bit of a name from the past. Uh, yeah, first player since Robin Sodling to win this title two years in a row. Um, I suppose Gail Monfils, he's he's a bit of an indoor hardcourt specialist, one one could say, because he's actually now won seven of his 10 trophies on indoor hardcourt. So, um, you know, he's sort of deciphering out yeah, a bit of a sort of record for himself there. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of surprised when I read that, actually, because you wouldn't really associate like Monfils with like indoor, you know, indoor hardcore specialists. But he certainly seems to, he certainly thinks that he's playing, you know, arguably probably some of the best tennis of his career at the moment, because, you know, in his interview afterwards, he kind of said that, you know, his his ambition at the moment is to kind of, in terms of the ATP rankings, is to get fifth. Uh, and you know, and that would be a career high for him. I think he's been sixth in the world, but he really thinks that he can actually take it up another notch and and get into the top five. And you know, based on you know what I've seen, you know, in, in terms of like kind of YouTube clips and highlights over the last couple of weeks, I mean, why not? Um, he's one of those players where I'm almost kind of surprised he, um, you know, in terms of kind of Masters events, uh, I don't I don't actually think he's ever won a Masters event. So I feel like that's an opportunity there, and you know, that almost for me you know, is his ambition. I mean, he said it in his interview and I think it's looking at those tournaments and yeah, and just seeing like, well, if it's going to be, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. 
Well, yeah, I might as well, you know, try and wrap I mean, him up when he can. I mean, he's 33, so... Uh, yeah, I know. It's, I mean, he is the same generation as, you know, Rafa and Novak, but I I don't know. It's He sort of doesn't seem to age in my mind. Um, but yeah, he beat Felix Ojeh-Aliassim in the final in Rotterdam. Um, it's quite a comfortable match, actually. I thought it, I thought it might have been a bit closer. Um, and, you know, whilst it was a good performance for Ojeh-Aliassim to get to the final, you know, he does need to start making waves I think you know at the deep end of tournaments which he hasn't been you know he's got to them a few times but he's he's lost pretty easily at, at the sort of deeper end he's uh, he's, he's own four he's yeah. own four I think in finals yeah. I think he gets big I think there is a I think there is a question there around um you know getting nerves in on finals day in in big matches because you know I think in the you know in the first set particularly against Monfils he it was quite clear that he was I think struggling to live up to kind of the the occasion I think the occasion actually got to him a little bit um but you know you can you know he's a very talented player I think you know the finals he has been in I think he's actually been in a final on grass he's been in a final on clay and he's been in a final on a hard court. So, you know, you just, you know, he is a very talented uh, individual, you know, big prospect. But um, yeah, he'll obviously want to be breaking that duck at some point this season. I think it's going to, I think it's going to happen this season. I mean, he's, he is playing some really good tennis. I mean, he came through, uh, he came through, I think, Dimitrov um, and some other kind of high profile players. So certainly I think he's playing very well. I think in his semi-final, he said that that was the best he'd ever served. So, you know, he must be feeling good with his tennis. I feel like, I do feel like it's a matter of time, but yeah, he, maybe there is an issue there around kind of, we'll get, you know, stage, stage fright uh, once I get to the final. Yeah, and also uh, another Canadian who Monfils beat uh, was in Montpellier last week. He beat uh, Vasek Pospisil in the final to win that trophy. So again, Pospisil hasn't been in the final of an ATP tournament in a long time. Um, you know, building some good form up. Uh, you know, he's he was out a long, long time with injury. So, but I think before that, he he broke he broke the top thirty. I think didn't he, Pospisil? So you know, possibly edging back up, um, back up to a much higher ranking. So it's good to see him kind of back on doing well on the singles court. Wasn't, um, he, we drinking, should... wasn't he drinking maple syrup maple or something syrup. In the, in the, yeah. on the changeover, which is yeah. bizarre. I mean, Kim... Well, it's pure sugar. So I guess he just wanted that, that glucose going through his muscles and, you know, when I heard that, impact. When I heard that, I was thinking about, uh, there, there's like a classic clip of like Dan Evans having, or was it Dan Evans or Marcus Woods? But anyway, one of those two, having a, a can of Coke and a Mars bar <laughs> on, on a changeover. And I just thought like, this is also <laughs> similarly ridiculous. Uh, and I wonder if, listeners, do you know any other sort of, I don't know, condiments or drinks that, you know, you've seen players have or like a changeover and you've just thought that is just down downright bizarre. I know, Kim, you would be all over the chamomile too, you won't you, uh, for your for your changeover. Yeah, changeover drink might, of choice. It might make me need the toilet too much, um, <laughs> you know, because tea is a diuretic, so it just kind of wants you to go to the loo a lot. So, but I think Tim Hemman at Wimbledon used to request Coke, but obviously because of the sponsorship, they had to put it in like oh, a plate. Oh, right? Uh, in a plain course, yeah. uh, couple, like a Robinson's mm-hmm. couple or something. I'm mm. sure that 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 I heard that somewhere. <laughs> but um, but also talking about Dan Evans, he got to the quarters in Rotterdam and lost to uh, Monfils. So that was a really good performance from Dan because he actually beat Karen Hatchinov, um the round prior to that. So excellent, excellent showing from Dan in uh, in Rotterdam there. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the Brits this week generally on the on the male side have had you know had a good showing. You know, Dom Inglot, Kyle Eben, and Dan Evans. Yeah, that result against Karen Kachinov definitely was um, eye eye catching in itself. Uh, but yeah, moving on, uh, we also had tennis in South America. Kim, one of our favourite phases of the tour, the Golden Swing. Yes. is in full effect. I think we're in the second we're in the second week now. It started we're in the last week, week. Yeah. Started last week in in Cordoba, Cordoba. Cordoba, in, I believe. Cordoba. Um and Cordoba Christian Garin. Yeah. yeah, Christian Garin won won Cordoba. And I think it was around this time last year that Christian Garin kind of burst onto the scene and we were starting to like you know, he, he was emerging as as a really decent, uh, you know, clay court player. He was one of the best actually last year. And yeah, he's he's kind of started back on the golden swing where he left off, really. Um, he beat Diego Schwartzman in the final. Um, and yeah, it was a bit of a strange match, actually. He came back from a set down and, and won the third uh, six love. Big. So yeah. <laughs> um, in front of in front of Schwartzman's home fans as well. Um, in Argentina, yeah, exactly. Right? So Garen's actually won three titles in the last uh, 12 months. So pretty good going. He didn't have a great start to the year, but now he's back on the clay. I think we're going to see a lot more of Garen again. And uh, yeah. He's just going to be a clay cut. He's just going to be a clay court specialist whole career, now, isn't he? Unless he does a Dominic team and, you know, transcends and transfers onto the hard court. I mean, I don't know, but it's early days. He's still quite young. <laughs> um, and then Buenos Aires, we had Casper uh, Rudd. Um, winning his first ATP title, beating uh, Pedro Sousa in the final, who I have to say I had never heard of before. I've heard of Zhao Sousa, but not Pedro. Yeah, I had to double check. It was a different Sousa to all the all the ones I know. But uh, yeah, I think he he came into the draw as a lucky loser. I think he lost in his final final round of qualifying. And actually, Christian Garin, I think, pulled out. I don't know if that was a bit injury or he was just tired or whatever. But um, he got in. He snuck into the main draw. And uh, yeah, he 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 continued um, he continued all the way through to the final. I think uh, Sousa is a guy who normally plays on the challenger circuit. And uh, yeah, I mean, for any sort of lucky loser to get to you know final of an ATP event I think is is pretty impressive and actually when I was kind of doing research for this episode Kim I didn't realize but it's only happened nine times uh on the ATP circuit that a lucky loser has won um has won a ATP title dating back uh to 1978 do you want to have a guess at any of those names who have won a title as a lucky loser uh, listeners, you can obviously play along as well. I mean, this is quite difficult, so I'm not expecting a hundred percent here. But any, any, any thoughts? Oh my gosh! Um, well, when you say lucky loser, I instantly thought of Peter Polanski because he is the lucky loser that keeps getting into Grand oh, Slam main draws. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, He's the ultimate uh, lucky loser. But yeah, I, I have absolutely no idea when it comes to the ATP circuit. Uh, oh, enlighten me, Joel. Well, well, we have had most recently uh, Cecinato won the Hungarian Open in 2018 as a lucky loser. We had uh, Leonardo Mayer in 2017 win in Hamburg, as well as Rublev in Umag. That was kind of weird because that happened in consecutive weeks. So, uh, yeah. And then Rajiv Ram, uh, who, oh, you know, Joe, Joe Salisbury's doubles partner. Yeah, so he's won, won a singles title as well. In Newport, which Amazing. isn't surprising. I mean, grass court, he's got a good yeah. serve. 
yeah, yeah. in 2009. Sergei Soskovsky in Zagreb in 2008. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, definitely a few a few names there. But yes, Salazar was an, unable to add himself uh, to the list with uh, Rude coming through. So, yeah, a good a good um, a good event for Rude. I think that was his. I think that was his first title and. You know, it seems to be, you know, at the moment, you know, of course, kind of some of, you know, the the big players are kind of, you know, resting their feet after kind of exertions from the Australian Open. It does kind of, you know, this is a time for, you know, lower ranked players, next gen players to, uh, you know, go deep in tournaments and get some ranking points. And, and Rude has made the most of that. And again, is another prospect in the similar sort of category to, to Auger Aliasim. We've also had, finally, uh, we also had a tournament in Pune, didn't we, Kim, uh, last week? Yeah, so in Pune, or Pune, I never know quite how to say it, Joel, <laughs> um, we had Yuri Vesely winning uh, his, well, his second ATP title, uh, quite a long time after winning his first one. It was five years ago that he claimed his, his maiden title. But yeah, Yuri Vesely has won Pune. Um Made a bit of history, actually, because in his quarterfinal and his semifinal, he was match points down in both of those matches, but obviously clawed his way back, uh, got through to the final and then played uh, Igor Garasimov in the final uh, and won that in a three set battle. Um, and he's only only the eighth player to have saved match points in two matches on route to winning a title. So pretty impressive stuff. I mean, have, had you heard of Igor Gerasimov? Because I certainly hadn't. Um, uh, no, and I've—I to be honest, I—I I only recognise Yuri Vesely as like a round three, round four Grand Slam player. Oh, uh, I, I don't really—I'm <laughs> not really aware of him, like on the outside the Grand Slams. But yeah, it's great to see—it's great to see him capture a title. So uh, yeah, and to do it, yeah, to do it with uh, to do that with match point down in two matches shows how much I guess shows how much heart you have and how, how much belief you have regardless of, of what the what the situation you're in is well exactly yeah um, and actually I've just had a look because I was looking at uh, players to win a tournament after saving you know match points in in two matches en route and it actually has Raji Ram on this list as well which wow, amazing. is somewhat surprising says in Newport in 2015, he um, he saved match points against Isna uh, in the final or, oh no, the first round and then Manorino in the quarters. So Rajiv Ram has won Newport twice by the sounds of it and has appeared in both of our little stat uh, look up Kim, this week. I'm not sure. How I'm actually not that? sure. I'm actually not sure what I'm more surprised by, whether <laughs> it's that or I'm seeing... Adria and Manorino get to a quarterfinal of a Grand Slam tournament. Oh, sorry, of a grass court tournament in Newport. But uh, but yeah, but well, yes, Manorino uh, is a nifty grass court player. Is, is he, he not? Is he? I didn't think so. I don't I, think he's a terrible grass court player. Okay, All I don't right, know. Okay. <laughs> Any Manorino fans out there want to uh, let us know? He's not a grass court specialist, though, well, is he? But is he a specialist in anything? I mean, well, as opposed a... to clay or hardcore, <laughs> I don't know. Um, right. Anywho, uh, let's uh, let's talk WTA, Joel, because yes. we've had a couple of tournaments, but maybe let's go back a week and talk about Fed Cup because that was probably the most dramatic thing that's happened um, in the women's, you know, uh, side of things uh, over the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, we had Team GB playing Slovakia, uh, sadly. 
we lost, but uh, there was some impressive performances from Harriet Dart and also Heather Watson, um, despite our eventual loss. Yeah, it was a bit, oh, it was a bit kind of, I think it was a bit bittersweet because, yeah, as you said, there were some, you know, watching on the TV, there were some really good performances there. I, I was particularly impressed with Harriet Dart, who, you know, I think she, obviously this is a very much a you know learning curve for her, you know, getting lots of experience. Uh, but she really played kind of unfazed in Bratislava and, you know, on a clay court, unfamiliar surroundings with, you know, kind of the crowd against you. Yeah, I think she definitely put in, I think she was definitely kind of, for me, almost kind of the star player for, for GB, um, particularly in, in Conta's absence. Um, you know, I do wonder whether, you know, it would have been a different outcome if, you know, there was, if we had had a fit and fighting, you know, Joe Conta leading the attack for GB. But, um, you know, I think Harriet Dart and, and yeah, Heather Watson kind of, they, they did the best they could. I, I think, um, you know, I just think kind of Slovakia on their day were better and particularly Schmiedlova. Apologies, Schmiedlover, I think. Schmiedlover, apologies, listeners. Uh, who was inspired the whole, well, the whole tie. Um, I think she was pretty much the, she was the MVP. And yeah, just was very, it was almost too solid for, for whatever GB could, GB could throw, throw at her. Yeah, because Schmiedlover, you know, her ranking at the moment is, is like, 199 but she has been as high as top 30 and she's just been out for a long time with injury um so you know really she is kind of the better player so Harriet Dart did did very well in that kind of in the decisive rubber which she lost in straight sets but you know it it was um, a gritty performance from from Harriet and obviously Heather Watson had had won uh against Rebecca Sramkova earlier that day which was a, a bit of a last minute change in the in the lineup with that one because it was supposed to be um Kuzmova who had pulled out last minute so Heather Watson did well to kind of adapt to the the change in opponent but yeah it wasn't to be um we're now going to be in a playoff against Mexico which will be in April away in Mexico Mexico. and I, I know in the the kind of in the post match press conference after the tie you know Anki Offervong was like hoping she could persuade Joe Conta to play that tie but I could, there's absolutely <laughs> no way <laughs> in my in my head anyway that you're going to convince Joe Conta to go out to Mexico uh for a, for that Fed Cup playoff you know she said that you know she needs to look after her body um and you know I I kind of to be honest I kind of side with Conta and also if you actually look at who Mexico have you know I, I think that their two top players are kind of around 400 to are in kind of the bracket of 400 to 500 in the world. So I, you'd like to think that GB, even though away from home, will have enough firepower, you know, with Watson, Dart, you know, even Katie Balter to, to kind of overcome that. But, but we shall see. Um, but that wasn't the only kind of fake cup tie going on. We of course had, uh, other ties going on in the world group. Um, I think the the other one that caught me eye my eye was USA versus Latvia. Serena Williams uh, was playing that. Uh, Ostapenko as well, who you know I think has you know, been in good form this season, has put in some good performances. Um, and it all got a bit. It was it was actually it wasn't just a walk in the park for the USA. It did. I think it did go down to the the final. Did it go down to the final rubber? It was definitely a tense. It definitely was uh, a, a bit closer than than perhaps you know a lot of people were expecting. Well, yeah, because Latvia actually have a pretty decent team. You know, they've got Ostapenko and they've got Sevastova, um, who 
is, well, has been a top 20 player. I'm not sure of her current ranking. But yeah, after day one, USA were too, too, um, you know, two nil two up. Two nil up. I'm trying to think of the word. Two rubbers up, I suppose is what you'd say. Um, so Kenin and Serena won both their matches. And then, um, yeah, second day, uh, Ostapenko beat Kenin. So, you know, Kenin, obviously, newly crowned Australian Open champion. And then Serena had a bit of a tussle with Sevastova. Um, it went to a third set and Sevastova won. Um, and that was actually the first uh, time that, well, the first singles defeat uh, for Serena um in the Fed in a Cup. Long time. So yeah, yeah. A really, you know, um decisive. And I guess it just kind of also, you know, it continues to raise doubts about Serena and, and whether she can kind of Well there there were those comments from you know, there were those comments from her coach, uh Muratroglu, I think came out in the press around like, you know, Serena needs to change her strategy and, you know, I d I don't I don't dis I don't disagree with that and you know, I think it's, I always think it's like, you just can't, I know Serena's kind of like, you know, one of the best tennis players of all time, but I think you almost like, you do need to kind of give, she still needs some guidance and like support. You can't just kind of put her on a tennis court and like kind of just rely on her to kind of, I guess, figure it out for herself. Um, so I think, you know, I definitely think she needs to kind of look at kind of a different sort of tactic or whatever that is on a tennis court but she'll need help uh you know from Muratoglu from her kind of team team around her because yeah as you said you know losing you know in the Fed Cup you know performance at the Australian Open um yeah it, there seems to be there seems to be work to be done there but um yeah we had those Fed Cup ties and as a result of that we will we now have our groups for the revamped Fed Cup finals which will be held in Budapest in April so who have we got? We've got we've got four groups uh, of three countries. So in Group A, it will be France, Russia, and Hungary, who are the hosts. Uh, group B will be Australia, Belarus, and Belgium. Group C is USA, Spain, Slovakia, and then Group D is Czech Republic, Germany, and Switzerland. So, I mean, I'm just looking. At, I feel like Group D there is is that the group of death? Czech I don't Republic, know. Germany, Switzerland. Australia, Belarus, and Belgium is looking strong there because is Kim Price is going to play for Belgium in fact. Well, I don't know, but they've got Elise Mertens, and you know Barty if she's playing in that, and then Belarus have got you know Sabalenka and Azarenka. Azarenka. So that, I don't know. That's the one that kind of um, snuck out for me. But yeah, I'm actually really excited about um, the Fed Cup Finals. I think it's actually. I don't know. I think it, it's going to, I mean, I'd be quite in looking forward to going to it. I can't this year, but maybe next year. Um, yeah, because it's a similar format now to, to the, the Davis, Davis Cup. Cup. Yeah. But it's obviously at a different time in the year because it's in it's in April. So it's not at the end of the season. So again, it will be interesting to see, I guess, you know, with this revamped format, if they suffer the same sort of teething problems that, uh, you know, the Davis Cup, finals have but um yeah i guess for that that will that will be um no doubt uh fuel for another episode of the passing shot further down the line so uh yeah we did have the fed cup but we've also had a couple of tournaments as well this week the biggest one uh being the saint petersburg title where kiki burton's uh was able to defend uh defend her wta title yeah in saint saint petersburg i think you know she was going into that into that event 
having suffered a really dramatic Fed Cup exit with uh, with the Netherlands. I think they were 2-1 up, but then lost. Uh, who did they, they lose lost to? The they lost the deciding doubles uh, to Belarus. So it was a like last set tie break in the deciding doubles rubber against Belarus. So I think Kiki Burton's was quite upset um that she had you know lost that so but yeah really good that she bounced back won St Petersburg she beat Rybakina in the final um and obviously Rybakina had a great start to the year um she gosh did she win uh Shenzhen did she win Shenzhen yeah did she beat Heather Watson in Hobart or something? It was something like that, wasn't yeah, it? Oh no, she beat yeah, she won Hobart. Lost to Barty at AO, but um she reached like two consecutive finals at the start of the year. Um correct us if we're wrong, listeners. <laughs> um but yeah, she is making a name for herself, but yeah, kind of got a bit whooped uh, by Kiki Burton's today in the final. Um and then well, we did see Joe Condra in action uh, in St. Petersburg, but she lost her um she lost her first match against uh, Oshan Dodan, yeah, who, you know, doesn't doesn't bode well for Conta. Although I did notice she was playing with Caroline Garcia in the doubles and they got to the semifinals uh, in St. Petersburg. So, and Garcia is also a player that really needs some confidence. Yeah, that and was, form. Uh, yeah, those, it sounded like those those two were like looking for extra, extra, extra max practice. So yeah. they, they decided to take a last minute doubles pairing. But yeah, I personally don't think Conta looked fit enough for kind of single, like ready to be back on a sing, on a singles court. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, going forward. I just hope that, yeah, she can get back and be able to kind of maintain that consistency and, and kind of push, you know, to back up to kind of, you know, the, hopefully the top 10 in the world i think she's ranked kind of around 14th 14th 15th at the moment so uh you know we shall see but it's definitely not been uh you know a continuation on um you know from all of her success you know particularly at grand slams last year i think she's going through a bit of a a rocky patch but um yeah we had that in saint petersburg and we also had a tournament a wta international tournament in hua hin where magda lynette the number fifth seed overcame the qualifier Leonie Kung 6-3-6-2 to lift the trophy um so yeah Lynette I think that was her second title I think she had won in the Bronx in the States uh last year so uh yeah uh, just another another title picked up by uh Lynette um yeah and Leonie Kung I uh hadn't heard of her before so I had the Bit of a look at her. She's like 283 in the world, uh, sort of a young Swiss player. So um, that was only her second main draw event at at that level. So not a bad, not a bad week for her. And then also not a bad week for Serbia's Natalia Kostic, who um, who on Valentine's Day um, got engaged to her longtime boyfriend during the Hua, during the Hua Hin tournament. Um, she'd lost to Zheng Sai Sai in the first round, but her boyfriend proposed. Aww. And then the tournament organisers gave them a, a, a gifted them a two night stay at the beachside luxury intercontinental resort in Hua Hin. So um, that oh, was a nice, a nice little story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they got a little engagement weekend. So um, anyway, on that, let's go for a very short ad break and we'll be back with a bit of mysterious player. Okay, Joel, are you ready for some mysterious player? I think it's my turn to 
to quiz you on this. We've been on, on a bit week. of a break of mysterious players, so I'm excited to get back into it. What have you? <laughs> what have? What have you got for me? What have you got okay. in store for me? Excellent. Right. Let's begin. Let's begin. Okay. So I was born in California. I switched from softball to tennis at age 11 because my parents suggested I should find a more ladylike sport. Uh, Lindsay Davenport. Nope. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, next clue. I became a minority owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team in 2018 with my partner. Los Angeles Dodgers. So I was going to slay Sone Stevens because she is married, I think, to a footballer. But the Dodgers, that is like they're a, a baseball base- team. As a baseball team, <laughs> not so football. it's not going to be. It's not going to be Sone Stevens. No, um, it's not. Okay, American tennis player. Um, I'm going to go something rogue here. Probably completely wrong, but I just want to say it. CC Bellis. Uh, good guess, but well, no, not good in this sense, but. It's like, that would be a good future mysterious player to do. So yeah. thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> that was like I... <laughs> a, pithy, a pithy response. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, next clue. I was formally married to one of the founders of World Team Tennis. Ah, uh, of course. That I mean, that that just that's just a really obvious. obvious that's really yep. obvious, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, World mm-hmm. Team Tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I've got no idea. Uh Oh, I feel so they might be maybe a little bit older. Maybe they are retired. Mm, maybe someone like Chris Evert? No, not Chris Evert, but you're getting closer. So I won the singles titles at all four Grand Slams. I also won a career Grand Slam in the mixed doubles. And in women's doubles, I won all the slams except for the Australian Open. Hmm. Interesting. So they're going to be like Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer sort of level. So probably like in that like Chrissy Everett, like icon, legend status. Um, I know we've had Pam Shriver as an answer before, but I'm just going to say it again anyway. Pam Shriver. No, but I I did do her before, didn't I, for a mysterious player? Um, oh. I'm, I'm not sure if Pam Shriver has won a, a career Grand Slam in in singles, but um, I'll give you. I think you might get it from the next clue. Um, okay, I've, I've been trying to make them so they're not too obvious. Uh, <laughs> so, Life Magazine in 1990 named me one of the 100 most important Americans of the 20th century. And I also received the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018, which was presented to me by my longtime friend and fellow tennis player, Sue Barker. Uh, I became the, only the second American after Michael Phelps uh, to win that award. Ooh, okay. I think, okay, I think I've got, I think I know who it is. It's that's If it's that sort of level, there's only a few who really kind of, stick out to me is it billy jean king it is yes well done you're correct it is billy jean king (laughs) i feel like i probably should have got there sooner but better better late than never i don't know my next clue was going to be um that actress emma stone portrayed me in a 2017 film battle of the sexes so um yeah listeners let us know how you did on that one um i thought i'd go 
kind of a bit more old school, but like someone that transcends tennis, you know, and has done so much. Um, but I was trying to find clues that wouldn't be immediately kind of <laughs> obvious. <laughs> like maybe, I set up the WTA. <laughs> maybe I will next time do a sort of godlike player from the men's tour and maybe give you some maybe give you some more obscure clues but there <laughs> let, let's wait and see i'm sure there's uh yeah i'm sure there's potential there for another mysterious player down the line uh but coming back into kind of the tennis world uh in the present in the last two weeks we have had other things going on haven't we kim uh we have had you know i think you know, just a little little tennis match in in africa uh involving uh, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal take place, you know, man, man and his dog sort of level of attendance. Yeah, I mean, same attendance as I think a Futures event in Shrewsbury. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, there were 51,954 people who attended. Was that a record? Was that it a record? was a record, yeah, for any tennis match. Um, wow. So, uh, I mean, it was an exhibition, but Federer... Federer beat Nadal, uh, although, you know, exhibition scorelines. Um, but yeah, they raised more than $3 million, uh, which I think was going towards the Federer Foundation. And they also had some special guests joining them for a doubles match. So the, they had Bill Gates and Trevor Noah as well uh, coming on to join them on court for a doubles, a doubles match. Uh, so yeah, pretty, we must, pretty good. We must, have, we must have missed the invite. I know, I know. I mean, we could have we could have partnered with them. I mean, me and Rafa, <laughs> you and Roger, perfect. We could have done commentary, passing shot, <laughs> live commentary for exhibitions. Let's make it happen. Oh, that'd be a dream. Um, <laughs> um, other news, uh, we've had the announcement uh, of a Netflix documentary series, which will be focusing on uh, Naomi Osaka in the run-up to no, the to Olympics. Yeah, so it's actually, they must have already started it because uh, it's covering the period from the US Open last year up to like the Olympics this year. So they haven't announced when it's going to be released, but I imagine probably around the Olympics. Um, but I, yeah, this is going to be really popular, I think. And it's great as well that, you know, people who might not be that into tennis might, you know, see this on Netflix and and get involved. And yeah, I think it's just, it's, it sounds and cool. I, I mean, I just yeah. hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't distract too much from from her schedule. I mean, I don't know if they're like going to be like a fly on the wall kind of, following her around or if it's going to be more like intrusive i'm not sure yeah i mean i assume it's going to be like a continuation of uh you know that's you know almost like a netflix series you know starting with the you know the andy murray mm. hip surfacing one True. and this is maybe yeah. the next one in the bill i think what's going to be interesting about it is you know it's not like naomi osaka since you know winning the us open against serena williams it's not it's not exactly been plain sailing for her so um you know i think it'll be interesting and hopefully the you know the directors will do a good job in i guess capturing the the ups and downs that osaka has had you know as you know number one you know splitting with her coach all these you know all these sorts of things and then rediscovering her form so uh you know i'm, I'm looking forward to that because yeah as i said i think it's going to be there's definitely more i think there's more to that story that people aren't aware of and it is one of those stories that probably can get more eyeballs on tennis so yeah looking forward to that um we also have some tournaments next week and this week it was announced to my surprise actually um kim kleisis has accepted a wild card into dubai which is a premiere event and is 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 pretty stacked so kim kleis is obviously itching to get back on a tennis court and i mean she's she's going in at the deep end because she's going to be facing kiki burton's the the world number eight 
Yeah, uh, not an easy draw for your first match back uh, on the WTA. I think it's her first match, yeah, in like seven years, more than seven years. So um, I don't expect her to do that well. I think, would you say if she got a set that it would be, that would be a good result? Um, I mean, I mean, maybe Kiki Burton's we like exhausted from Fed Cup and St. Petersburg. You never know. I mean, <laughs> potentially, uh, yeah. I, I'm my feeling going into it. I mean, obviously, I'm terrible at predictions, but my feeling going into it is I'll be impressed if Kim Clijsters can take a set um i think what's the interesting thing is here i think we're going to get an indication of what level kim clices is going to be able to compete at you know she's not going to get a warm-up match she's oh yeah she's going to be going in cold it's going to make it really fascinating i think and you know i think we're kind of you know over the last six months or so you know we've had that Kim Kleister's love-in period you know, about you know it being a great story and her coming back and you know her wanting to prove herself uh, to her kids um, but now it's almost kind of like that that phase is over and you know Kiki Burton's could step onto a court with her and be like well here we go you you asked for this welcome to the WTA yeah. tour welcome to the WTA tour 2020 because <laughs> yeah, it has moved on a bit uh, but yeah I mean just looking at the rest of the Dubai draw as well is some ridiculous matchups like Svitolina against Muguruza first round uh, because Muguruza again was a wild card um, we've also got Rybakina against Sofia Kenin, uh, like Benchich Pavlichenkova, Risk against Yabor. I mean, there's just so many like top matches like in the first round. It's it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, very much looking forward to Dubai. Actually, that it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. Yeah. I am also going to be looking forward to that. And yeah, there's lots of other tournaments as well going on over the next few weeks. And I'm sure we will be doing another catch up uh, to look back on Dubai, look back on Kim Kleisters and everything on the ATP and WTA circuit. So I hope you can join us then. Uh, but for now, uh, remember to follow us on social media, uh, on our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages at Passing Shot Pod. If you want to contact the show as well, feel free to do so via email passingshotpod at gmail.com and if you want to subscribe to the show uh, remember to yeah remember to do that on all the podcasting platforms out there we're on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever you listen to your podcast so yeah and if you've been enjoying listening to us on apple uh, we really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and a comment uh, but for now, uh, I think that's it for this episode of The Passing Shot. I hope you've enjoyed listening to mine and Kim's thoughts uh, on the last couple of weeks in the tennis post-AO. Uh, and I hope you can join us again for an episode in the future. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.